One of my favorite all-time movies is the latest version of True Grit. Uh, the, 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 the original movie featured the great John Wayne. Uh, many of you may remember there was a remake uh, several years ago now. And, and, and the movie is one that has this incredible storyline that leads to uh, the, the, the two main characters being delivered. The one kind of delivers the other and accomplishes uh, the, the goal for which they set out to accomplish. And it was pretty awesome, right? And, 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 and you get up to the movie, 98% of the movie, you get all the way almost to the very end. And uh, the hero defeats the villain and the two main characters are, are united and it's, it's just awesome. And it's a feel good story, but that's not where the movie ends. The movie actually fast forwards in the last 2% to where the one main character who was helped and delivered tries to visit the primary character who had helped to deliver her. And when she gets to where he's located, she arrives to find out that he had died just a few weeks earlier. And this reunion that was anticipated there in the last 2% of the movie never happens. And then you're just kind of left with the weight the gravity of this reunion that never happened and kind of left to wrestle with like, this is real life, real world kind of stuff. And, and frankly, I love it. I, I just, the, the, the writing in it and all that, I just thought it was awesome. My wife hates it. <laughs> My wife would have been very, very happy to have stopped the movie 98% in. I think many of you might be like that. You want the movie that has the resolution. You know, it's, it, it's got a happy conclusion. That's, that, that, that's kind of the movie script you like. I, I kind of like the script where it's a little bit of an open-ended cliffhanger. There's a little bit of weight and gravity. You, you're kind of thinking on it like throughout the rest of the evening kind of thing. I, I, I like that. I like that plot twist kind of thing. And most of you would think that that's just weird and that's totally fine, okay? You can be wrong and that's totally fine, all right? And, and we've, we, we, we've seen examples of this through the years, you know, where you get to the end of a show, movie, a plot, and then there's a twist and it's not what you expected. You may love it, you may hate it. And we've been looking at the life of Jonah the past few weeks. And, and let, me just, let me just be honest with you up front, okay? Most of you would prefer for the plot to have come to a happy conclusion last week at the end of chapter three. But that's not the rest of the story. You see, we've, we've been looking at this man named Jonah who was a prophet. He was told to go to the capital of the Assyrian empire and preach a message of judgment that the Lord was gonna judge the city unless they turned to him and Jonah won't go. And so in the first chapter, we saw Jonah running from God, right? He literally tried to get as far as he could possibly get from God. He went to the farthest end of the known world at the time. We talked about his rebellion. We talked about his refusal to go do what God called him to do. And then the second week in the second chapter of Jonah, we saw how Jonah famously was swallowed by a great fish. God taught him a lesson there for three days and three nights. And Jonah comes through that experience repentant. He, he 
proclaims the glory of God. And then last week, chapter three of Jonah, we saw how Jonah now is recommissioned to go back to the capital of the Assyrian empire and proclaim this message of judgment. And Jonah does it and he preaches this message. God brings revival to the city so that the king of the Assyrian empire says himself, hey, we're all gonna mourn. We're all gonna, gonna, gonna humble ourselves before the God of Israel. And the entire city turns to the Lord. And can we be honest? That's where most of us would prefer for the credits to start rolling across the screen. That's the end of the story that most of us would anticipate. That's the end of the story that we desire, that Jonah wouldn't go. God gets his attention in a rather miraculous and profound way. So then he does go. God brings revival to a rebellious, violent, wicked people, and everyone lives happily ever after. That's not the end of the story. Because the fourth chapter of Jonah gives us in the last 2% something that is a little unsettling. Something that is meant to stay with you a while. Something that is meant to get and keep your attention. God's trying to provoke something in us by the last 2% of the storyline. We see a similar dynamic in Jesus' famous parable of the prodigal son. The, the parable of the prodigal son is actually ultimately not about the prodigal son, it's about the elder brother. The target of the parable of the prodigal son is the elder brother who, can you remember those of you who know this story? Can you remember how it ends? Oh, how he wanted to end with the prodigal returning and the father throwing a party and restoring the sonship of the prodigal. That's not where the story ends. The story ends with an argument between the elder brother and the father. What was the argument about? Why the father would willingly receive such a vile sinner. And we're left with that conversation as the end of the story, unsettling, somewhat of a cliffhanger. And in many respects, for those of you who are maybe just learning the Bible, okay, here's what I want you to see. Jonah is the Old Testament elder brother. The, 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 the real life situation with Jonah is a manifestation of what Jesus told with the parable of the prodigal. Jonah, as we will see today, is not happy to let the story end with revival in Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian empire. No, Jonah, as we will see here today, is like the elder brother, furious that God would forgive such an unforgivable people. It's a little unsettling. It's meant to get your attention. It's meant to stir your emotions. It's intended to kind of leave you hanging with this bad taste in your mouth of how could someone, especially a professional prophet, be so angry with God that God would show to someone else the same grace he showed to the prophet. 
It's a little disturbing, isn't it? That the human heart has this level of duplicity where we could gladly receive the grace of God in our lives without wanting God to give the same grace to others. I'm sure none of you have ever encountered that type of duplicity. I've heard of some people wrestling with that sort of thing. Like, you know, when you have to cut someone off in traffic, it's necessary and people should understand. But when someone cuts you off, well, that's a different story. The duplicity found within the human heart at times can be staggering. Listen to me. The ending of Jonah is aimed to highlight this duplicity in all of us. It's unsettling. And we need the grace of God to overcome it. Because here's what Jonah fails to understand. Here's what the elder brother failed to understand. That our God willingly, gladly receives sinners. Our God rejoices when the lost are found. And therefore, every single one of us who know the grace and mercy of this God need to keep in mind what Jonah and the elder brother fail to understand. Here's our key takeaway today, that reaching people is our greatest privilege. Listen, reaching people is our greatest privilege. There are a lot of things that, that, that we have the privilege and opportunity to do in life. There are a lot of joys, a lot of highs, a lot of blessings, you know. But I just want to kind of keep it in the forefront of your mind that there really is no greater privilege in all the world than to partner with your heavenly father and to reach people who will spend eternity either in heaven or hell. And the scripture is clear that what our father rejoices most over is the salvation of a lost human soul. There are many other blessings in life, many things that would lead the father to rejoice, but nothing causes our father to rejoice like the salvation of one soul that was lost. And Jesus' point in his ministry is that yes, even if it's just one out of a hundred, the father still rejoices all the same. And I want you to think about your life today. And I want you to understand that God has gifted you. He has blessed you. He has equipped you so that you can have a positive impact on people. Because think about this. People live forever. People last forever. There's not a whole lot about your life where those things are true. So many of the blessings that we enjoy, right? We're not taking them with us. But the influence you have over another human soul, right? The way that you leverage your opportunities to be a blessing to other people, I'm telling you that literally echoes into eternity. Reaching people is our greatest privilege. Jonah totally lost sight of that. In fact, um, He's angry about it. <laughs> All right, let me take you to Jonah chapter four. Let me show you the last 2% of this incredible narrative that we have before us, right? Here's what happens. After the revival in Nineveh, look at what the scripture says. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah and he became very angry. Not indifferent, not, you know, bothered, not 
frustrated, literally in the Hebrew language, it says this, but it was evil to Jonah with great evil. He is angry. And so look at what it says next. So he complained to the Lord about it. I love this, man. He actually can go to the Lord and complain. Not long after he spit out on the beach, having been three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, now he's gonna go back to the Lord because you know, he's of the mind that maybe the Lord would benefit from his perspective. And so he's actually gonna go now complain to the Lord. Okay, so here's what he says. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran to Tarshish. I knew, look what he says here. This is good theology. His problem is not his theology. He says, I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. By the way, isn't that great news? We praise the Lord for that. Jonah knows this. No problem with his theology. But then he says this, just kill me now, Lord. <laughs> I'm at the end of my row. I'm done. And look at what he says. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. God, I'm out. You brought revival. I'm out. And so the Lord says to Jonah in verse 4, is it right for you to be angry about this. Reaching people is our greatest privilege. Jonah totally forgets this. I want you to notice that he's angry with the Lord legitimately, meaning his assessment of the Lord's actions are correct. You know, sometimes you might be upset with someone because you misunderstood their actions or motives or something. That's not the case with, with Jonah. Jonah rightly discerns God's actions and his motivations. That's why he's so angry. And he's so angry, literally, he ascribes evil to the work of God. Can you imagine that? He's not saying, just lean in here. He's not saying that he disagrees with God's decisions. No, he's saying more than that. He's saying that what God has done here is evil. Uh, that's a pretty big statement. But that's what Jonah believed. Jonah believed the Assyrian people should be left to eternal hell. They should not be redeemed. They should not be forgiven. That this current generation of Ninevites should not be spared. That is not, that is not what Jonah thought should happen. And so he ascribes evil to the Lord. And as a result, he says to the Lord, just take my life. He's miserable. So let me give you a few takeaways about what happens when we lean into this duplicity and we fail to understand our greatest purpose in life. First of all, listen, jot this down. True misery in your life is when your will is opposed to God's will. You know what, you want to know what it looks like to be miserable? Live your life in such a way that you set yourself up against the will of God for you. And trust me, you will reach full misery. You probably won't get there overnight. You'll probably set sail to your own Tarshish. <laughs> You'll meet your own correcting storms. But if you keep your heart dead set against the revealed will of God for your life, trust me, misery will soon be your companion. 
It's no accident that Jonah here is miserable. It's no accident that he wants his life to be taken. It's no accident that, that, that he is at the end of his rope. Whenever we set ourselves against the will of God, which is rooted in love for us, which is ultimately what's best for us, whenever we set ourselves against this good, gracious will that God has for us, his purpose for our lives, his design for us, it leads to misery. By the way, that's why the prodigal son returned home. Because he set his will against the good, kind grace of his father. And he came to realize that the world never brings the fulfillment that it promises. And what was it that prompted the prodigal to return? The grace and kindness and generosity of his father. You see, this is the will of God for us. It's good. It's for our good. It's for our protection. It's for our benefit. It's for our fulfillment. It's ultimately for his glory. And listen, whenever we set ourselves against his will, it's going to lead to misery. And Jonah, last week, we saw this in chapter 3, is grateful for a second chance. And now that, that the Assyrians get a second chance, he's ticked. Do you see the hypocrisy? You see the duplicity here? And so he, 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 he just hardens his heart against the Lord, even ascribing evil to the Lord. He's like a metal bar, okay? His heart's like a metal bar. There are people in the world today like this, by the way, where like you take a metal, a cold metal bar. If you try to bend it, okay, eventually you can put enough pressure on it that it will just snap. You say, well, how... How could you bend that bar without it snapping? I'll tell you how. You heat the middle. And when you heat the middle and then you apply the pressure, the bar willingly, conformingly bends. The Holy Spirit is the agent that God uses to make our hearts pliable to his will. But when we reject the kind overture and mercy of God and we remain cold and hardened in our own way of doing things, listen, at some point we will break. That is a misery that I think many of us can understand that we want to do what we want to do the way we want to do it. We don't want God's will. We don't want God's way. We're not living for God's glory. And, and we think we're going to get all that the world promises, our flesh, our desires promise us, and that is never going to happen. The surest way to live a life of misery is to try to live it on your own terms. Jonah learns this lesson the hard way, right? And so he goes to Nineveh. I, I referenced this last week. I'm proving it to you this week that he goes because he felt like he had to go. He goes because he didn't want to end up in, in the belly of another fish. <laughs> he didn't go preaching that message with joy and gladness. He didn't go preaching that message of judgment with, with the hope of repentance. He went preaching that message hoping that they wouldn't repent. He's like a little boy I heard about whose mother said, now sit down right there in that chair and time out. And the boy looked up at his mother and said, well, I'm sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. <laughs> All right, like that's Jonah. He's like, okay, God, I'm gonna go preach to Nineveh on the outside, but I hope they don't repent on the inside. They repent. Now he says to God, what you've done is evil. Here's what happened to Jonah. He got outside of the fish, but he never got outside of himself. In the most miserable place you can ever be 
is trapped inside of yourself. And that's true even of believers, by the way. There are many believers who get delivered from their sin, but never from themselves. Let me tell you why we do what we do. We do it for the glory of God. We do all that we do for the glory of God, right? And a lot of our misery, not just in the world among those who don't know Jesus, but even within the church, right? At times when, when we just refuse the kind conviction of the Holy Spirit, a lot of our misery, misery is just related to our ideas of how we think things should go contrasted with God's ideas. It's the duplicity in our own heart. We have our own ideas for our marriages, for our lives, for our you know, conduct, for how that we manage what God's entrusted to us, how we lead our families, how we conduct ourselves in the context of our careers. We have all these ideas, right? But, 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 but if we don't lean into God's will, then we're shortchanging ourselves and ultimately we're leading ourselves down a path of misery. You want true misery in your life? Well, oppose God's will and you will get it, okay? And so, and so true misery is when your will is opposed to God's will. So secondly, write this down. So here's, here's God's kind, gracious initiative in your life. God will remove your comfort so you can fulfill your calling. Here's how much God loves you if you're a follower of Jesus today. In those seasons where you wanna lean into your way, your will, you know, your, 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 um, your flesh, your sinful tendencies, your selfish, you know, those times, here's what God's gonna do. Just, here's what we see in Jonah. God's gonna work in your life in such a way that he begins to remove comfort so you can get back to your calling. Now, let me show you how it happens with Jonah. Look at verse five, chapter four. So then Jonah, after he has this conversation with the Lord, the Lord's like, Jonah, is it really right for you to be angry about this? Jonah doesn't reply, of course. He's like a little toddler throwing a temper tantrum. So he just goes out to the east side of the city. He's like, I'm done. And he makes a, a shelter to sit under as he waits to see what will happen to the city. I don't know if he thinks God's gonna like be motivated by Jonah's great speech. God's gonna say, oh, maybe Jonah's right and I should destroy all these people. I mean, you know, this is just stupid, but sin makes you stupid. We've seen that, right? And so here's what happens. So he goes out, makes this little, you know, shelter. He's gonna wait and see what happens in the city. So verse six, so the Lord arranged for a leafy plant to grow there and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Now, for many years of my life, I read that verse, not fully understanding its impact until God called me to Florida. <laughs> and now I understand the blessing and the comfort of shade, right? Oh, it makes all the difference in the world. Just a little bit of shade. And, and, and you can get a sense, right? Those of you who live here in Florida, in West Central Florida, you get it. Like you can be out in the sun, you have some shade. It makes a huge difference. And, and here's Jonah throwing a pity party, goes outside the city, he's mad at God. He ascribes evil to the Lord. And he's, he's, he's just gonna sit there. There's nothing else for him to do. He's gonna see what happens. Maybe God changes his mind. Not gonna happen, but Jonah's just, you know, caught up in his ignorance here. And he sits down and the Lord causes this, 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 uh, this plant to grow over him. And now he's got some shade. And Jonah, just notice the contrast. He's so angry. Now he is so at ease. He's just so glad. He's got a little bit of shade. And then look what happens next. But God also arranged for a worm. And the next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant, so it withered away. It was like that hungry caterpillar you used to read about, and he was still hungry. <laughs> this is like a turbo worm, okay? 
and the turbo worm eats through the plant and now Jonah loses his shade. Now watch what happens. As the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching wind to blow on Jonah and the sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and he wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he said. And so then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry that the plant died? Jonah said, yes, even angry enough to die. Let me tell you something, any shelter you build that is outside of God's will for your life will not stand. Jesus talked about this. You know what Jesus said? You wanna build your house upon anything but the rock of his word and his will, it will not stand. Jonah has this little makeshift shelter. He gets this little leaf that gives him some shade. He's so happy, it's just, it's so amazing. Do you see the irony here? People's eternity is changed, but he cares more about the leaf over his head. This is the foolishness of sin. Everyone sees it except the person who's in it. And, and when he had that shade, he's so happy, right? But God sends a worm. Don't miss this. The same God that sent the whale sent the worm. The same God that sent the worm sent the wind. Our God is the God of the whale. He's the God of the worm. He's the God of the wind. And notice what God does here. He sends the worm, why? To get Jonah back where he needed to be. To remove the comfort to try to get him back to his calling. Because comfort is the enemy of calling. And Jonah was trying to comfort himself foolishly. He's angry at God. We see it here in the text. He is so furious. But, but, but what first looks like a pest is actually a pathway to try to shake him once more out of his anger, out of his selfishness, out of his foolishness. The worm is designed not as a pest, but a pathway to get Jonah where he needed to be. That's why God says, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry. Let me give you a little bit of biblical perspective here. Your savior will not let you linger in a lukewarm state. Your savior will not let you live in opposition to his will. He will not let you sin successfully. He is going to work in your life repeatedly to bring you back to the place where you understand the beauty and the blessing of his will. And in those seasons, right, where your misery surfaces because of your opposition to God's will in your life, just buckle up because God will do whatever he has to do to shake you from your comfort in your disobedience to bring you back to your calling. In fact, we, we ran a little experiment today. Um, we kind of ran up the temperature in the room, if you haven't noticed today, just to make you all a little uncomfortable. Do you feel the heat today? No, actually the power went out this morning and um, we weren't even sure we could meet today. So we're just happy to be here and our team's been working on it. I'm grateful for all their efforts, but it's hot. And it's a reminder, <laughs> it's a reminder 
that God will not let you linger in the comfort of your disobedience. He's going to work to bring you back to your calling. And comfort is the enemy of calling. We don't have the vision of go 2030 because it's comfortable. We have the vision because that's what Jesus has commissioned us to do. To reach the nations. To share our faith. To invite people to the gospel. To give to the work of missions. Listen, we're we're not sending people out across the country and even around the world. Because it's comfortable. 15 hour plane rides are not comfortable. I don't care what seat you're in. You know why we do what we do here at Bell Shoals? Because we have a calling that is a privilege. To share the love of Jesus, to be in our own way, Jonah's to the lost and dying, to the rebellious, those who are in need. That is our highest privilege, right? There's no greater privilege in all the world than reaching people, encouraging people, investing in people. And in those seasons where we're just rejecting God's will for our lives, it's going to lead to misery. God's going to work in our misery to to make us uncomfortable so that we can get back to where we need to be. That's the purpose of the whale and the worm and the wind. These are good, gracious initiatives of God. They don't seem like it, but they are because God's trying to get Jonah continually pursuing him, trying to get him back to where he needs to be. And ultimately, dear ones, listen to me very, very carefully. This is all embodied by Jesus, who, by the way, left the ultimate comfort and the glory of heaven to come and suffer at the hands of sinful men. Jesus left the comfort of heaven so that he could bring salvation to those of us who desperately need it. Here's what Philippians 2 tells us. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, And was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. And he died a criminal's death on a cross. You see, Jesus did not do what he did because it was comfortable. He did it because it was necessary. It was the will of God for him to come and take our sin upon himself, the wrath of God in our place. And this is our mission in the world. And just know in these seasons where you're resisting the will of God in any area of your life, he loves you enough at times to send a whale, to send a worm or to send the wind. But he's never gonna give up on you. He's never gonna stop pursuing you. He's gonna use every instrument at his disposal to bring you where you need to be. Because comfort is the enemy of calling and God's not gonna let you be comfortable in your sin because lastly, just to reiterate this one more time, your greatest calling is to positively impact people. That's our greatest calling. People live forever somewhere in heaven or hell. Our greatest calling therefore is to positively impact people. And this is God's point. And listen to me, this is how the series ends because this is how the book ends with this cliffhanger. I love it. (laughs) All right. Those of you that wanted it to end in chapter three, buckle up. God's letting this hang over you to provoke in you something that reflects his heart. Look at verses 10 and 11. This is it, okay? The Lord said, Jonah, you feel sorry about the plant even though you did nothing to put it there, it came quickly and it died quickly. But Nineveh has 
more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Let me just say that 120,000 people there in the original language talks about those who don't know the left hand from the right hand. I believe that's referring like to children. Listen, here's the point. The, the city had well over a million people in it most likely. It's a massive city. 120,000 children is, is how I interpret this. Just, just, just people in darkness. God says, Jonah, you have more compassion for this plant than you do these people. The duplicity of the human heart. And, the, and thus the book ends. Thus our series ends. Not with a happy-go-lucky, feel-good moment. With a question. Should I not care? about such a great number of people who are set to die and face eternal judgment. Do you feel the weight of that? Now, let me ask you this. When you look at our city, when you look at our state, our nation, our world, are we content to focus more on our plants than the people? the things that bring us comfort, the things that bring us joy. By the way, there's nothing wrong with those things. But there is something wrong with those things if we value them more than we value the calling of God on our lives and our church. Let me tell you about a church I served years ago. When I went there, the church had zero dollars budgeted for missions. Three and a half million dollar annual budget, zero budgeted for missions. Let that sink in. We did, however, have the most beautiful arrangement of greenery and plants that I had ever seen in any church. All throughout the lobby, all throughout the worship center, all throughout small group rooms. It looked like the Amazon forest. Here's what I found out when I started digging into the budget we didn't own those plants. We leased them. We paid a company about $20,000 a year to bring them in, to service them once a week, to keep everything looking green and beautiful. And we started making some pivots. And the, one of the very first pivots I made was to get out of that contract with that company. And literally they came on one single day with a bunch of uh, big U-Haul trucks and they took every single plant out of that building. And I stood up in front of our church family the next Sunday. Here's what I said. We're no longer going to fund these church plants. We're now going to fund church plants. We're going to send people all around the country <laughs> to do the work of the gospel. And if we ever get to a point where we've got enough loose change laying around that we can buy a few plants, okay, we'll buy a few plants. I'm not opposed to things looking nice. I am opposed to things looking nice at the expense of the Great Commission. I am opposed to doing things in such a way to where we have maximum comfort without leaning in to our ultimate calling. And I just want you to understand today, if you're a part of Bell Shoals, listen, we are a part of a mission and a movement that's changing the world. We are not here for ourselves. Jesus did not save us so that we get more of ourselves. 
And what we're trying to do here is to carry the Great Commission forward, to be a blessing to our neighbors and the nations. And I just want you to understand today, you are a huge part of that. You may not always feel like you are. No, you are. You have contact with people, influence with people, the opportunity to invite people, to encourage people, to share your story with people. You have the opportunity to give, to go, to sign up for a mission trip, to, to, to go here in the next few years and, and to be a part of one of our church plants that, that, that we're raising up across the country. Listen, you have the opportunity to be a part of something great, to impact eternity. Don't be like Jonah, sitting under your own leaf, mad at God that, that he might bring some discomfort to you. He's gonna do whatever he has to do to get you out of the miserable condition of living for yourself. And I believe that as we continue to be a people who are focused on our calling, God will bring all the greater blessing in the days to come because the Lord blesses cheerful givers. I mean, not just of dollars, but of time, of talent, right? I mean, l l listen, it's no accident that tomorrow we're gonna send over 700 people to camp. We're gonna see hundreds and hundreds of students who think they're going to have fun with their friends, but are actually going because they have a divine appointment with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we spend thousands of dollars to make this happen, right? Amen. We spend thousands of dollars to make this happen. Some of you give for scholarships so that we can send more kids. The outside world must look at this and think we're crazy. We don't even sell any cookies once a year to, as a fundraiser. We don't have any cookies. We don't have, you know what, we're just the people who come together every single week because we have a calling on our lives. We have a great commission ahead of us. And we understand that our greatest privilege is to reach people and to have an influence that will literally echo into eternity. And as you're inviting and you're talking and you're sharing and you're giving, here's, what, here's what's happening. God's not gonna show you all the fruit of your labor. But one day in eternal glory, I believe that we will see the fruit of how God has used us. We're not gonna see it all right now, but there's gonna be someone come up to you one day and say, thank you. That's why we do what we do. And so if you're new to Bell Shoals, listen, I'd love for you to get connected and plug in here. Uh, you can connect with us by texting Bell Shoals to 77411. Connect with us at the round table, send us an email. And if you're a part of our Bell Shoals family, you're not yet a part of Go 2030, you haven't signed up for a mission trip. Hey, don't be duplicitous. Don't sit under your leaf. Are you with me? Come on, Bell Shoals. Let's be a people who are serious about leveraging who we are and what we have because God is gonna bless it and multiply it in a way that it will bring a greater blessing in the days, in the years to come.